in a fearful world, God is with us, and He is worthy of our worship. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. We live in a fearful world, don't we? And there are plenty of things that can cause us to become fearful, aren't there? Uh, Financial stresses, uh, health problems, relationship problems, unforeseen circumstances in our lives, but then we look out at the world around us, crime, inflation, foreign adversaries, terrorism, all of these things then can cause us to become fearful. And it doesn't help either that we now live in an age of the 24-hour news cycle and instant communication on social media. It used to be you'd get the news, like uh, some of us old folks remember you'd get the news like once or twice a day for like a half hour, remember in the early evening or later at night, and that was pretty much it. You got a daily newspaper, that would would keep you informed of what was going on. But now it's what, 24-hour news constantly, and it's driving it. And there are ratings then, ratings issues that drives the hype on cable news too. Because you don't tune in. People say they want to hear good news, but the reality is if you had the good news channel, how do you think that would do in the ratings? We all think it'd be a great success, but it wouldn't either. It's been tried, right? And so there's this constant hyping of the bad news on cable news. We have social media now. Likes and retweets propel more mass angst among us than on social media. And now it seems to. It used to be elections. Remember we used to have like election day, and then it kind of became election season. And now it's like elections are like constantly, 24 hours a day, 365 day a year politics, right? And all this further drives this angst among us. More recently, I saw that now apparently we are, according to cable news, uh, we are all supposed to be living in mortal terror now of this thing called the triple-demic. You heard about the triple-demic? You know, that is COVID, flu, and RSV, all coming at once to hit us there with that. Now, I have to admit, I had never heard of RSV before. Anybody else here ever heard of RSV? I had never even heard of it before. Okay, we got our medical professional back there. I know you've heard of it, right? But most of us here haven't really heard about that. I had heard of RSVP, but I'd never heard of RSV. (laughs) And I, I intend to RSVP, RSV with thanks, but no thanks, you know, not planning on it. But I wonder, you know, with all of this, though, we're supposed to be worried about these things. And again, I am not suggesting, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we do not need to have concerns, that we don't need to take proper precautions, those kinds of things, be prepared for things. But should we be living in this constant sense of fear? And living on the edge all of the time. But no, because what is, what is the typical or natural human response to potential dangers? Real or otherwise is what? Panic! Fight, flight, freeze. It just stirs us up and we've got to do something about it, right? Well, these are natural responses to threats. Now, part of this, it serves a good purpose, right? I don't know that panic ever really serves a good purpose. Uh, fight, we need to fight sometimes, don't we? Flight, we need to flight. 
we need to run sometimes. Freeze. I don't know if freezing ever really serves a very good purpose, but that tends to be what people do, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. And sometimes we need to do that. But is this the way we ought to be living daily as followers of Jesus Christ? Does God want us to live in fear? Well, we're continuing our series in Christmas for perspectives here. You might be wondering, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, you're going to see in just a moment what this has to do with Christmas. We're looking at the Christmas story through the perspective of four biblical writers here. The first time one we looked at was John. and John, we saw that Jesus is the life and the light who gives all who believe the right to become children of God recipients of grace upon grace, like that ocean wave that just keeps coming. God's grace just keeps coming. Saw Christmas according to Luke that God came into the world in a very unlikely way, and he used unlikely people like you and me to deliver an unlikely message of good news, of great joy, the gospel, hope then. Today, then, we want to look at Christmas according to Matthew. Our text will be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 2, verse 23, then. And here is the key theme I want to take away for us. In a fearful world, God is with us, and he is worthy of our worship. You know, just earlier, just a moment ago, we were singing Emmanuel, God with us, right? That he is with us. He has come to us now at this Christmas time as a celebration of him coming to us, taking on human flesh. And he is with us. Because he is with us, we need not be fearful. And instead of being fearful, we can worship and put our confidence and trust in him. So as we look at this account of Christmas according to Matthew, I'm going to see three ideas here. First of all, the story. I'm going to look at the story that Matthew tells us. Then I want us to note some of the themes that Matthew is touching upon in there. And then a response. How then should we respond to this? Before we look at Matthew, the text starting in verse 18, He has given us the genealogy or the origin, the human origin of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus, the Son of God, had no origin, right? That he is the Son of God. He is eternal. But Jesus, the man, had an origin, had a genealogy, a human genealogy. And so we see then that Jesus was the son of David. He was the son of Abraham that he was the heir to the throne of David through his legal father, Joseph. We say his legal father. Joseph was not his biological father, right? But he was his legal father. And so he was an heir to the throne of David, and he was the Messiah king. So now Matthew tells us then more how the birth of Jesus Christ then came about. Look at Matthew 1, verse 18. We're told, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here for our story, then first we see the birth of Emmanuel, the birth of Emmanuel. We see that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And many of you know this, but uh, for some I think it's good for us to be reminded of this. It's It's helpful for us to understand the Jewish marriage custom at that time to better understand the story of Joseph and Mary and what was happening here. Now, marriages were, at that time, were arranged by the parents. Um, you know, so they had these, these marriage arrangements there. You know, us in our day here, we don't do it that way anymore, do we? We, uh, we look for someone to fall in love with and, and all that. And you know what? Sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But in those days, the marriages were arranged by parents, and then contracts then were negotiated. And after this, then, the couple was considered married, and they were called husband and wife. However, here was the thing. They did not, though, they did not begin to live together or have sexual relations for a period of a year. So they were considered married, called husband and wife, but yet they did not live together or have sexual relations. The woman would continue to live with her parents and the man with his for this period of one year. And the purpose of this waiting period then was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. So if she was found to be with child in that period, obviously she was not pure. She had been involved in an unfaithful relationship And therefore, then the marriage could be annulled. But if the bride had been pure, though, the husband would go to the house of his bride's parents and in a grand processional march would lead his bride back to his home. And there, then, they would live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage physically. So this is helpful for us to understand the story of Joseph and Mary and what's happening here. And by the way, it gives some insight to us as well here, doesn't it, with the church and Christ and the relationship of Christ with his bride, the church. So uh, this is that, that we're in this waiting period and Christ is coming and he's going to bring us to himself then where we will live in his home forever and ever. Uh, so Joseph and Mary are in this waiting period of the betrothal here. But before they came together then, Mary was found to be with child. 
Now, of course, this child was from the Holy Spirit, but Joseph didn't know that at first, did he? And uh, this child then was no ordinary child. This, was, this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Now, why is it important that this, was, this child was born of a virgin? Well, because he was the unique God-man, right? He was both divine and human, both of them. So he had his humanity through Mary, his deity then, he was conceived through the Holy Spirit. But most importantly in the virgin birth is the protection from sin, that he was conceived in holiness. There was no sin nature that he received then through that. So Jesus then, fully human, fully divine, but yet also, though, without sin. And that is the importance then of the virgin birth here. So now here's Joseph. Mary comes to him, and she is now with child. And you have to wonder, if you are Joseph, what are you thinking at this point? Well, it's pretty obvious what has happened here, right? I mean, could there be any other explanation? Well, as it turns out, there was another explanation, wasn't there? But things did not look good at this point. It looked like Mary had been unfaithful. And so we're told Joseph was a just man, a righteous man, unwilling to put her to shame. So, meaning what? so he was just, he was righteous, but meaning what? he was merciful. And he did not want to expose Mary then to what possibly could happen to public shame. He could have gone to the elders in the gates of the town and exposed her there and put her away there and actually could have even have endangered her life. She could have been subjected to being stoned to death even. But Joseph did not want to do that. Instead, just putting her away quietly. Joseph was facing enormous pressure and humiliation as well as his heartbreak in the matter. And so he resolved to just put her away quietly. But that's when an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, What? Do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, there is a meaning in our names. Names have meanings, and this is a very big theme in Scripture, the meaning of names. And so this name, he was to have a particular name, which was Jesus or Yeshua, uh, Joshua in Old Testament times. But what did this name mean? Yeshua, or Jesus, it means what? The Lord is salvation, or God saves. That's a pretty good name for the Savior to have, don't you think? The Lord is salvation, God saves. So Yeshua, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we're told then that all of this took place to fulfill the prophecy about Messiah that was found actually in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what, Jerry? God God with us. That's right. We were just singing that. 
By the way, I didn't realize this. Uh, I, I, I noticed it like the time before. I saw at the end where we put the uh, the credits there up there that, that the song and music is by some guy named Jerry Samandel. Is that correct? So that Emmanuel Noah, I love that song. It's a beautiful song. So thank you for writing that then, Jerry. That's a great song. So there you go. You should, that should be your retirement plan here maybe. You should uh, start doing that, you know. So, but that's a beautiful song. And uh, it says Emmanuel means God with us, right? And so, and what better name than, and, you know, for Jesus, you know, that he, got, he is uh, the one who saves us from our sins, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Very good names for him. You know, God sometimes speaks to us in many different ways. Um, I can't tell you that I've ever had quite this experience of having an angel come and speak to me in this way. Um, I know some people have had some very interesting. I've never had an angel come and speak to me, but I know oftentimes when you have when when people encounter angels in Scripture, what's the first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid, right? You know, so that. But that said, I do believe that God has communicated with me sometimes in unusual ways. But here was this unusual way of an angel actually coming and speaking to Joseph here telling him not to be afraid and not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. See, that Joseph was going to have to deal with all of the repercussions of that and what that meant in that society and that culture. He said, don't be afraid to do that. That this was a very unusual situation and it brought about a very unusual intervention here on the part of God. Don't be afraid. Mary has not been unfaithful to you, Joseph. But this child is from the Holy Spirit. You know, and Mary, I'm sure, had, had told him this, but would you have believed that if you had heard that at first? Yeah, <laughs> I think I would be a little slow to believe that too. But now when the angel comes and says this, then, then he knows that it's true. So when Joseph awoke then, he did as the angel commanded him to do. And then we're told then he took Mary as his wife. That is, he took her into his home, and they lived together as husband and wife in their home. But as we're told, what? They refrained from sexual relations until she had given birth to Jesus. So there's the story then of the birth of Emmanuel. Let's look at chapter 2 then. We're told what happens next here. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here we see then the worship, the worship of Emmanuel. He was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy. Now here's something interesting. Here is the the supposed king of the Jews, Herod, uh, who did not know this prophecy. You know, any, any Jewish uh, child could tell you of the prophecy of where Messiah was to be born. But here Herod did not know this, and he would have to inquire. But he was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy. We're told in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You know, there's a fascinating thing about that prophecy there. It not only tells us there where Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but it gives us a hint about something else there, though, too. What else? Did you hear that in there? What else did we, are we told about the birth of Messiah and his coming? Not only where, Bethlehem, but also whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, that he is from ancient days. Now, what might that mean? That here is this thing, like if, uh, when you were born, did your, did, did your birth, did your coming come from ancient days? No. <laughs> Some of us feel like we're ancient, though, now, and living ancient days, right? But no, this, his coming is from ancient days. I think this is a hint here to us about the deity of Christ, that he is the ancient one who's coming from ancient days, whose coming forth is from days of old, is a hint that this is no ordinary child here, but that this is actually would be God in the flesh, born in Bethlehem and God. Divine deity is in there too. So we're told then that they come, the, these wise men see the, the star in the east, they come to Herod the king. And, and Herod was, he was actually not even Jewish. He was an Edomite, which means he was descended from the line of Esau. He had been appointed to rule uh, over the Jews as the king of the Jews then. And he had a rather nasty reputation. He very jealously guarded his power. And in fact, he had known he had killed some of his own sons and even wives. Anyone who might be a potential threat to his power, he had them eliminated. And so what happens later, it's not a surprise what he does when he does this later here. So he very jealously guarded his power. Now it is true, Herod had a, uh, left a legacy of being a great builder. He, uh, he built that, 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 the Temple Mount and all that. He did uh, a number of building projects there, but he also had a side of him that he, you did not want to cross. 
And in fact, there was even, there was a joke about Herod that the Roman emperor, Augustus even said, he said that if you were a Jew, you know, it was better to be Herod's sow than Herod's son, right? That you were more likely to live if you were his sow, a pig, than if you were his son. And it had to do with the play on words in the Greek language where the word for a pig and son sounded very much alike. There was just one letter difference there. You know, that, so better off to be his sow than his son. So this was the kind of reputation that Herod had then. So here these wise men then come from the east. And who are they? Well, we know that they were learned men. Uh, they're sometimes called astronomers, sometimes called astrologers, depending on who you, who you want to believe on that. But at any rate, they were educated men, and they were aware of these Jewish prophecies here. Uh, perhaps uh, going all the way back to the time of Daniel, they were aware that it had this information of the Jewish scriptures had come to them, or perhaps they had encountered them in some other way. But they are referencing most likely uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, where we see this star that arises in, in, the, uh, in the west there that would be heralding the arrival of the king, the, of the Jews, the Messiah. And so they wanted to come and pay tribute then to this king. And so as they arrive, where would you naturally go if you're looking for a king who was to be born, where would you go looking for the king? You'd probably go to the palace, right? You'd go to where the king of the Jews lived. That would be the natural place to go to. And so they go there, and they ask about this. And, of course, Herod, through his paranoid ears, what does he hear? Who's this one who's going to usurp me and take my power and authority, right? And so he was troubled by this news when they arrived. And then we're told, and even all Jerusalem was troubled by this news. Why was all Jerusalem troubled? Because they knew Herod's reputation, right? And that they knew this is not going to be good. <laughs> you know, if he has sense a threat to his power. So all of them were fearful then about this. So Herod asked, where is he to be born? So again, here's the king of the Jews who did not know basic prophecy about Messiah from Micah. Herod says he's told that it would be in Bethlehem. And so Herod tells them, well, well, we'll go and worship there, but then come back and tell me you know, so that I can go and I can worship him too. Now, of course, was that his intention? To go and witness? No. What was his intention? It was to kill him, right? So he says, yeah, go and worship, and then come back, tell me where he is so I can go too, right? Um, this star that the wise men followed, you know, every time this year, about this time of year, we always see these specials about this as well. What was the star? Of, was, it a, uh, was it a comet? Was it uh, an, a conjunction of planets? Was it Saturn? Was it this or whatever and all that? All of which I say, you know what, go ahead and watch those things. You might find them interesting. You might enjoy them or something. But none of them, they're, they're not really telling you what the star was. Because I think what the star was 
was a special supernatural manifestation of the glory of God, sometimes called the Shekinah glory, just like how the glory that, of God that led the children of Israel in the wilderness, remember that, that pillar of cloud, that fire by night, that pillar by cloud, I think that was the Shekinah glory of God, and I think that's what that was. Because this, a comet or a conjunction of planets is not going to lead you to a house in Bethlehem, is it? So I think this was the Shekinah glory of God. That's what the star was. So they followed this star, and it came to rest over this particular house in Bethlehem. And by the way, I know many of you know this, but in case some of you, I have to, uh, have to unfortunately, for some of us, it's going to disappoint some of us, I know, for all of our nativity scenes that we have, how we always see, you know, the, uh, there, there's Jesus and the baby in the manger and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the animals there. And then there's always what? The three wise men there. Well, first of all, we don't know if there were three. There might have been three. There might have been more. We know there were at least two. That's all we know. But there may have been, it was probably more than three. And they were not there on the night when Jesus was born. This was sometime later because now they were living in a house and he was probably one or two years old at this point by the time that, that the, the wise men arrived then there. But they came and they worshipped him and they paid homage to him and they, go, they gave him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, fit for a king. But then they are warned then in a dream not to return to Herod. So what happens next? It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, by the way, it's never a good idea to try to trick people who are called wise men, right? But anyway, so when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So here then we've seen the birth of Emmanuel, the worship of Emmanuel, and now the flight and the return of Emmanuel. 
An angel, this is a prominent theme here, is angelic interventions and dreams here, isn't it? But an angel appeared again to Joseph in a dream, and he told him, take the family into Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. And so they departed that very night then for Egypt. And again, we see then the paranoia and the cruelty of Herod in the slaughter of the baby boys in Bethlehem. We're told then that Herod died, and Joseph is told that he can return. But then he hears then that there, where they were in Bethlehem in that region, uh, a son of Herod named Archelaus is reigning. And guess what? He's just as bad as his father. You know? And so you don't want to go back there now with him. And so they return to where they were from originally, Galilee, and specifically the town of Nazareth. And so he returns then, then to Nazareth, where he shall be called a Nazarene, which is, I think, a, a, what the scripture means when it's saying that is it means that he, there is no scripture that says that Messiah will be called, well, Messiah will be from Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. I think what it means there is that a Nazarene in, that, in the time of Jesus, to be called a Nazarene meant to be someone who was despised, right? <laughs> and so here is the Messiah who would also, he would be even despised. It's a hint then that, that Messiah would be despised even by some of his own people then. So that is the, the story, Christmas story, according to Matthew. But I asked you to think about some of the themes that we see there. We may note any number of prominent themes in our text there. Uh, first off, Joseph's obedience. Joseph's unquestioning obedience is an example there for us. Uh, God's direction through dreams. We see God doing that on a number of occasions there. But also God's sovereign direction and provision uh, at this time then for them. But there is one particular theme that was in that text there that came up on on, uh, one occasion after another that, as I said, you might want to consider a little odd for a Christmas message But it is this. What is something that we saw pervading this whole time here? And that is fear. Did you see the theme of fear throughout that whole time, throughout that story? Number of occasions, being fearful of of things. As I said, we may have any number of things about which we can become fearful. We may be fearful of people, fearful of circumstances, fearful of the future, fear of the unknown, any number of things. And as I said, there is a place for a proper concern about things if it means we're taking action, right, to be prepared for things. But should we, as the people of God, be fearful, overcome by fear, living in fear? I think the answer, what should our response to fearful situations and fearful people be. As I said, fear is a normal part of our life in this fallen world, but is our proper response to fear as followers of Jesus, should it be panic, anxiety, and worry? No. What is the proper response to fearful situations and circumstances in people as followers of Jesus? Praise. Trust, right? Faith. Faith should be our response to fear, to fearful things. And you saw that in Joseph and his obedience. 
and his faith and his trust in God in all of this. Faith is the antidote to fear because faith then is confidence and trust in the character and in the ultimate plans of God. Do you trust God's character? That is something that we grow in, isn't it? You know, we... our, our, our life of faith, faith isn't a, a, a one-time event. Faith is a daily life for us, isn't it? It's a way of life. And so we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in him, in his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the beginning of our life of faith, is transferring our trust from ourselves to Christ and his life and what he did for us. But that's just the beginning of the life of faith, isn't it? From then, then we learn to trust more and more. We trust God's word. We trust God's character. We trust God's purposes and plans. And you know, that isn't always easy to do, is it? To trust those things. But this is what we're called to. So rather than becoming fearful and anxious about things, do we trust God's character do we trust God's ultimate plans? And sometimes we don't always understand. Well, I, we rarely understand the fullness of God's plans, do we? We don't. But this is the life of faith. Confidence in the character and the ultimate plans of God and the promises of God. And faith is personal we don't have faith in faith. You know, sometimes people say, you've got to have faith, like it's just some kind of vague, vague quality to have. No, faith is confidence in a person, and particularly in our God, our God Yahweh, and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is confidence and trust in the character and the ultimate plans of God, and it's personal. It's in him. So how do we express our faith? What is the test of our faith? Are we truly are we living in fear or are we living in faith? Well, we're living in fear when we're obsessed with and consumed by the things that can grab hold of us and make us worry, right? That's living in fear. But living in faith then is what is rising above that and it's expressed then in obedience to what God says and in worship and praise. You know, there's just something about praise that can take our minds off of the, the fearful or fearsome situation and put it onto God and God's character and God's promises, right? Faith is expressed then in obedience to what he has said and in worship when we transfer our minds off of the situation and put it on to God. Now, I know that you know to do that, and I know to do that, but it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? And that's why we need these reminders like this all the time. We saw many reasons to be afraid in that text here today in the story, but Joseph was faithful. He was obedient to what God said. So what? What should I do? What should you do? Well... In a fearful world, God is with us, Emmanuel, and he is worthy of our worship. 
He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy. So I ask you, are you afraid? Is there something that has you worried or concerned? Are you concerned about something? And again, what's the difference between concern and worry? We should have concerns, shouldn't we? But we shouldn't be worried. A concern is what we don't know what may happen, and we need to be. A concern is something that causes us to, to take action, to pray, to take action, and to trust God in that, right? Whereas worry is what? The focus is on ourselves and how I feel. And there's this helplessness that comes about it then, right? I don't know what's going to happen. Concern says, okay, I'm going to pray. This is something I can do, and I'm going to trust God. Worry is just, ah, I don't know what to do, right? So is there something that you're afraid of today? Something that's gotten a hold of you, and you need to say, Lord, I give this into your hands. I entrust this person or this situation into your hands. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust you in it and through it. So is your trust, is your faith in Emmanuel, God with us? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God's character? And are you worshiping and obeying him then? This is the proof of our faith, isn't it? Is that we're obedient to what he says and we worship and praise him through it all, regardless of it all. And I think this is one of the gifts we can celebrate this Christmas is that we, because God is with us, we don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be fearful, but that we can entrust ourselves and our lives into his hands. This is one of our Christmas gifts is freedom from fear. So let's celebrate that today. Celebrate the coming of God to us in Emmanuel and be thankful then that we don't have to be afraid that we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we do not need to be afraid. Lord, there are things that can cause us to become fearful. Uh, some of these things, Lord, are, are, are hyped up and, and, and we don't need to be afraid at all. But Lord, that there are other things, though, that these are legitimate concerns. And I would pray, Lord, for each one of us here, though, that while we may have these legitimate concerns, that we would not be fearful, that we would not worry, but that we would put our trust in you because you are with us. You are worthy of our obedience. You're worthy of our worship and praise. You're worthy of our trust, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are the sovereign God. Our lives are in your hands. I pray, Lord, for anything that may have any one of us here now worried, fearful, that we would turn that over into you, entrust it into your hands, entrusting you, Lord, to work in it and through it for good. Thank you, Lord, for our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for this Christmas gift, this freedom from fear. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.